0: This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together ten disciple-making organizations, all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those ten tracks was hosted by Lion Share with Dave Biering and his team. Here's audio content from Lion Share and their track called "The Holy Spirit, Obedience, and Transformation."
1: Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming early, first track of the day to uh, to hear um, this talk. I was caught a little bit of the news coverage as I was leaving the hotel room about the hurricane and gave me some flashbacks to when I covered hurricanes um, along the Florida Space Coast and a um, few tips if a hurricane's coming you know fill your bathtub with water because the water may not be good the next day so then you have water to use for your toilet. Um, you know we would pack our, our trucks with you know supplies from Walmart as soon as we landed and, and, uh, and you live with your crew basically for the next week. Um, so it, it brought back, uh, lots, lots, lots of memories of, of being in the trenches and, and not smelling so good. <laughs> so anyway, um, this morning you're here for a talk on Marketplace Disciple Makers, and this is not a new concept to me. I have always believed that the Marketplace uh, was a mission field, and maybe that's because of how I grew up. My mom is Korean. My dad is a big old white guy from Michigan, They met at Bible College and went to South Korea as missionaries in 1970. And so I grew up as the the double whammy, MKPK. All right. Um, But unlike other missionaries in Seoul who lived on a compound and lived with other missionaries, ate with other missionaries, you know, homeschooled or went to other school with other missionaries, we actually lived amongst the people because my mom was Korean. So I had Korean friends in the neighborhood, I had my relatives, you know, church, I spoke both languages. I went to international school, where I went to school with kids from all over the world, every single continent, every single, you know, religion you could think of. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it just, that that was my normal life. Uh, everyone was richer than us, right? They had maids and drivers, um, you know, we, they they rotated every two years. And, and we were the only ones who, like, were there every year because we, that was our home. For them, it was just kind of their stopover place. And they kind of treated the country as their own personal playground, right, because they could get away with whatever they wanted. They could go to the nightclubs at the age of 14 because they could. Um, and they knew I was a Christian. I wasn't going to go, so they, you know, they didn't invite me um, and, and – And I'm a pastor's kid. Like, you know, what could be more dorky than that? Uh, when finances got tough because churches and individuals here in the U.S. were not consistent with their financial support, um, my parents decided to embrace the Priscilla and Aquila model, you know, tent making model, and went, uh, to work. And so they both kind of got their own jobs. Um, my mom was a executive recruiter because of especially with her ability to use both languages, um, it was a great job for her. So many businesses were coming into Korea and needed people who could speak languages to help them and everything from secretarial work to office manager stuff. So she was dealing with, you know, big corporations. Um, my dad went to work at an international law firm, you know, editing all their, you know, legal briefs and correspondence. And then we would have Wednesday night prayer meeting, you know, in our home on Wednesday nights. We'd have Friday night Bible study for college students and then we'd have church on Sundays and my parents were the pastors and I was the organist and the offering collector and the grape, you know, juice, um, it wasn't wine, grape juice, you know, pourer of the, you know, communion and my brother and I would pour all the cups into a big cup at the end and we were like, yeah, you know, we got to eat all the, you know, extra cookies and, um, juice. So, you know, for me, the secular and the sacred were always blurred. There's never, like, here's my church life, and then here's, you know, my parents', like, separate vocational life. Um, when I left Korea and I went to Stanford University, I had the opportunity to learn about so many different things from the smartest people in the world. It was so great. I loved going deep with the students. Um, the people I met there were more like... More like me than anybody I'd ever gone to high school with, and um, for the first time, I experienced Christian fellowship. Because when I was attending my parents' church, it was basically their outreach to Koreans. There weren't peers for me. I mean, I was the Sunday school, right? So I watched. I was the nursery helper, like holding people's babies. My brother and I. Um, there, you know, there wasn't a, a peer group. So. When I went to, when I went to college, I had that peer group. My Campus Crusade, uh, for Christ group brought me that Christian fellowship that I'd never experienced. Its leaders taught me about discipleship. You know, I would, I would go through like the little bit, you know, the, the short curriculum that they have that you take people through when they first become a believer or when they want to learn about the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I learned about, um, apologetics, how to answer tough questions about your faith. Not just from fellow students who might ask you that question, um, but from professors, you know, who openly challenged that, you know, they thought the people who believed in the Bible were idiots. Um, but when I decided not to join full-time crusade staff, which is what they expect you to do at the end of four years, and I decided to pursue a career in journalism because of my talents and so many doors that God had opened for me in that arena, before then, and even after then, I felt like Crusade didn't really know what to do with me, and neither did my local church. I didn't fit into any of their boxes, and though I kept my faith, I—I I mean, I'll be honest, I drifted, uh, and I—I I sinned a lot. Um, and finding no one at church and no one at work who could understand what I was facing and and to, you know really be able to keep me accountable to my beliefs. So let me just stop from my story for a second and just say on a side note, um, how many of you here are like church leaders, like on staff with the church? Okay. How many of you are, you know, like lay leaders, you would say at, at your church? Okay. So I would say like about half, half, or maybe, you know, maybe we're a little bit more in the, in the second category, you know, side note, churches often commission young people who are heading off on mission trips or going into full time ministry, you know, stick the hands on them, pour the anointing oil, you know, the whole thing. But what about the young person who's beginning a career in the media like me or going into the military or the government or as an artist or as an attorney? Um, Shouldn't they be commissioned too? They're going into the mission field. Um, Shouldn't they be connected to other believers who know the challenges of working in that field? Uh, I can tell you firsthand there are plenty of unchurched people in those fields who need to hear the gospel, who need to be deci- discipled and encouraged by someone who can lead them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's my that's my soapbox moment. All right, that's one takeaway you can write down. <laughs> yeah, you can you can that's that's one takeaway you can take back to your church for graduation Sunday on June in June. So let's go back to the beginning and talk a little bit about work and how um, we at LionShare think that you need to teach Christians to think differently about it. Now, most characters of the Bible and heroes of the faith were not on church staffs, right? Abraham was a businessman. Daniel was a government advisor. David was a shepherd. Ruth was a caregiver for her mother-in-law and a gleaner of food. The rich Shunammite woman used her resources to provide food and shelter to Elisha, and Jesus launched the church through marketplace workers, fishermen, tax collector. Um, At the root of the English word vocation is the Latin word vocatio. I looked it up. Darren, we're sitting in bed. I'm like, Google, Latin, Audible. It's great, I love the internet. (laughs) Wocatio means calling. Isn't that interesting? Martin Luther believed that having a vocation is more than simply an occupation. It encompasses the whole life of the follower of Jesus and is not limited to his or her job, career, trade, or profession. He believed vocation was a calling for followers of Jesus to contribute to the world around them by serving others. He wrote, The idea that the service to God should have only to do with a church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like is without doubt the worst trick of the devil. How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in a church and by the works done therein? The whole world could abound with the services to the Lord, not only in churches, but also in the home, kitchen, workshop, field. Luther um, also called vocations the masks of God, since God is actually the one at work behind what he's appointed us to do. All our work in the field, in the garden, in the city, in the home, in struggle, in government, to um, to what does it all amount before God except child's play, by means of which God is pleased to give his gifts in the field, at home and everywhere. These are the masks of our Lord God behind which he wants to be hidden and to do all things. So for Luther, God himself is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Wow. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. In John 1, 3, it says, all things were made through him and without him was not made, was not anything made that was made. Okay, so if you're still sitting in the camp that believes that, you know, full time ministry is holier and more spiritual than driving a school bus. Here's some things for you to think about. Work is worship. Adam worked and tended the garden. Paul tells us in Colossians to work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, because our inheritance comes from him. This is the verse I had sitting on my computer at work and it was the one I looked at constantly (laughs) on those really hard days. And he tells us that whatever we do to do all to the glory of God. So Dave tells this story and I'm I'm not going to tell it as as well as he does and and um, but he he always talks about, you know, when you want to understand this idea of work as worship, um, you guys remember the movie Chariots of Fire, right? And, uh, the main character, um, Eric Liddell, you know, tells Jenny, he says, um, I believe God made me for a purpose and he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure to give it up would be to hold him in contempt. It's not just fun to win is to honor him. And that's, that's, that's a really different way to think about work, right? Right. Um, yes, he did go to China and he became a missionary, you know, and all those things. But in that moment, what he was called to do in that particular season was to honor God. You know, he he honored God by not running in the Olympic trials on you know in his in his best event because it was taking place on Sundays. He wanted to show the people around them and honor God by not running on the Sabbath. Um, we don't know how that impacted the the people around him. As much as you know, maybe the work he he did in China. Those are two different worlds. But the idea that God could be as pleased that that's what I created Eric Liddell to do, as much as the work that he did in China. I love that. I love that. It doesn't have to be one trajectory for my entire life, right? What's what's the particular season of life for me at that time? um, vocation as ambassadorship. This one you guys should be familiar with, right? Every Jesus follower is a missionary. You are his ambassador wherever you go and to whomever you're with. You represent his characters, ways, and mission. In 2 Corinthians 520, it says, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, in most of the newsrooms I worked in, I was the only Christian or one of a handful of Christians. They would look at me, right, for a response when a Christian leader said something crazy about why 9-11 happened, right? Or if a major Christian leader was involved in sexual misconduct, it was like, where's Sonia? you know? Like, what's her response to this? Like, how's she gonna defend this? Um, how I treated coworkers when we were in a stressful situation, right? That, that spoke volumes to people, probably more than anything I could have said. How I treated those with different beliefs and lifestyles than me, that spoke volumes to them. Why? Because I was the only Christian they knew, right? Um, The only one they knew in real life, not just the cartoonish version of Christians that they'd seen on TV. So how I reacted to them telling me about their Night of you know debauchery and their you know the 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 guy at the at the um, at the assignment desk talking about you know the date he'd been on with his boyfriend you know the night before how I responded to that that told him more about Jesus than anything any book I could have handed him any you know sermon I could have uh, preached the bottom line is as we think about our vocation and calling is that you have to consider your conscience, right? Our call and vocation is not ultimately to something, like what am I going to be? I'm going to be a veterinarian. I'm going to be you know, a counselor. I'm going to be a lawyer. But it's to someone, the Lord Jesus. He is our sole standard and uncompromising point of reference. And we must do our very best to be prepared by stewarding well what he's given us. You all know. About the the parable about the master and the talents he gives to his three servants. I don't need to run you through that, right? But when you look at it through the grid, through the prism of vocations and discipleship, it it really applies. So how do we steward what he's given us? Part of that is where he has put us, and that involves an explanation of what we at Lionshare call the dozen domains. So back in the summer of 1975, when I was four years old, <laughs> I'm dating myself, but actually it's dating Dave. Um, <laughs> uh, Lauren Cunningham, who was the founder of uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM, was in Colorado, and God had been impressing on him a new thought, that the nations could be reached through various spheres of influence. Bill and Vonette Bright, who were the founders of Campus Crusade for Christ, were in Colorado at the same time, and they happened to invite the Cunninghams over. And as they were comparing notes, they realized that God had been giving them the same message, the same idea about spheres of influence. And then later, Darlene Cunningham kind of got another confirmation, another affirmation of this this topic they had been discussing amongst themselves. Um, Dr. Francis Schaeffer spoke about Uh, kind of what what he described as society shapers. And so two years later, YWAM started teaching this idea of the seven spheres of influence to its students, one of them being Dave. And it provided it provided a strategic way for 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 him to pray for our nation and the world and also helped him to see each person for their unique calling and role within society. And it offered for him and eventually for Lionshare, what would become a lifelong framework to view vocations through the lens of disciple making. Now the original seven um, were this family, church, government, education, media, arts and entertainment, and business. Uh, but as time passed and the world changed, Dave added a few more to the mix from seven to a dozen. So he added science and technology, because obviously since 1975, I mean, that's exploded. Health, medicine, wholeness, environmental, uh, environment, agriculture, zoology, nonprofits and service organizations, and peoples, meaning people groups whose lives and communities revolve around shared affinities, geography, and common culture. So this is what we call the, the dozen domains because they're a field of service or function It's where your knowledge, skill, expertise, interest, and concern are exercised. It's an umbrella that represents God-given callings and vocations where things that are created, cared for, changed, accomplished, where they're expressed. It's where we steward our time and energy, doing what we do for God's glory. Because think about it. Aside from sleep and the time we spend with our family, this is where we spend our time. And this is not just, you know, this is not just fun, convenient, kind of strategic thinking. It's all rooted in the character of God, right? So think about it this way. When you think of technology, God is the divine processor. When you think of writing, God is the author of creation. God is the artist. God is the master builder. God is governor. He's the ultimate in all these all these domains, right? He's the great physician. So when you think about these domains, one thing we like to talk about is capacity and influence within those domains. Each domain contains a God-given capacity that can be used to serve others. It has a unique sphere of influence. That's why we like to think about it in the context of discipleship, because you're reaching people who may not be reached in the traditional ways, because it's a different sphere of influence. It has a specialized mission to be accomplished. What the veterinarian in, in, you know, is, is, is trying to accomplish is different than what the politician is trying to accomplish and who they're impacting. Um, it is God who determines both our measures of capacity, which is your natural abilities, your acquired, acquired skills, your season of life, uh, your spiritual gifts, and then your influence, um, who and how many Jesus has given us to influence. So consider some examples from the Bible. Abraham, his capacity, manage people, property, and wealth. Influence, all the peoples of the earth. Okay, like, that's pretty big. <laughs> pretty sure we don't have any Abrahams in this room, but I mean, I could be wrong. Um, I know I'm not, so. So so that's big. David, his capacity was he was anointed king by Samuel. Where was his influence? First, sheep, then the people. So that changed in the course of his life. Paul, his capacity was pioneering. That was his, his spiritual gift. His influence with, was with the Gentiles, Israel, the kings. And then eventually, even though he was exhausted, <laughs> he wrote 13 New Testament books, right? So that's, that's how far his influence went. Um, let's go to a few more, little more humble examples so that we're not all feeling like slackers. Uh, Joseph, what was his capacity? He was a carpenter, a father. His influence, he stood by his wife. Huge, huge in the community. That he lived in and he raised the Son of God. Proverbs 31 woman, we don't know her name. Sometimes we hate her.
2: <laughs> I'll be honest.
1: <laughs> but um, her capacity, she was a wife, she was a mother, she was a businesswoman, and her influence was everywhere in her community. Probably sometimes this big and sometimes this big. Right, depending on her season of life. So let me return to my story. So after college, I worked for nine years in uh, broadcast journalism, in radio, behind the scenes at a network news magazine, and in front of the camera in the second largest market in the country. I sacrificed a lot personally for all that. Uh, I worked swing shifts, graveyard shifts, weekends, I had a hard time connecting with anyone at church because everyone my age seemed to be actor and screenwriter wannabes. I lived in Los Angeles. And all of their small groups and social activities were taking place when I was sleeping. One church had a mentor program that they had set up, but I got paired up with a very nice woman who was the choir director's wife. She had never worked outside the home and often canceled our appointments because of migraine headaches. No offense to any choir directors' wives that might be in the room or listening online, um, but that was not a that was not a good match for me, right? That that was not the kind of person who who could best disciple me at that point in my life. I was more influenced by boyfriends I dated who were either nominal believers or non-Christians, uh, and my coworkers. That's who I spent most of my time with. And then I got the call to move to Washington, D.C. to work as a correspondent for the network. I had hit the big time. So clearly I was doing something right. I felt sure that that is exactly where God wanted me to be, that he had opened these doors and led me to D.C. for some great purpose. I was a big believer and continue to be that we're supposed to be salt and light wherever we are planted. D.C. is where serious news was covered, right? Not celebrity justice and freeway pileups right? Which is what I've been doing. But after a year of hard work, I wasn't making progress. All my usual diligence and hard work wasn't making a bit of difference like it had in the past. I prayed. I cried out to God. For the first time in my life, I prayed for favor I had never heard of that concept until I got to D.C. Um, the book, The Prayer of Jabez, was like really big at that time. And so like everybody was talking about, you need to pray for favor, you need to pray for favor. And I was like, that sounds really selfish. Um, I just didn't really get the concept. And I, I didn't really know how to articulate it, but I longed for a disciple a, a mentor, someone who understood what working at this level of journalism was like, what the pressure was like but I couldn't find anybody. I reached out to a couple people who I'd kind of heard through the grapevine, you know, were Christians, but they were actually below where I was, kind of on the pecking order of, of the career that I was in. Um, or they just they just didn't respond back. They didn't really, I don't know if they were intimidated by the idea of, of, of discipleship, they, or they just didn't really know what to offer. I, I I can't tell you. I just know it didn't it didn't happen. Um, I remember my pastor's wife, who's sitting in the room, um, reminding me, "You are not waiting on them." And she was talking about my employer. She said, "You're you're not waiting on them," and and I was waiting for this promotion that I was working so hard for. She said, "You're waiting on God," and. Those words struck me. I, it completely changed my perspective. I didn't, I was waiting on them. I was sitting there thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Right? This is what's worked for me in the past. God has opened all these doors. This is where I'm supposed to be. Obviously, this is where I'm supposed to be. Right? He He's opened every door since I was the age of 16 for me to be in this career, for me to be in this place. I, I'm, you know... Like in my early thirties and I'm working at the network, this is where I'm supposed to be. So what do I need to do to make this happen? And when she said, you are waiting on God, wow. It, it completely changed my perspective. It is truly biblical advice that I have now given to others as they find themselves in similar situations. Discipleship, right? Now my story doesn't move on to where you might think. After nearly two years of wrestling with my situation at work, I got married to a very godly man and got pregnant. And we decided to leave DC and move to his home state of Minnesota. And even though I know God has given me specific capacities in the areas of communication and strategic thinking, for the past nine years, I've been focused on learning to be a disciple, discipling my sons, and caregiving for elderly parents. It's not what I would have imagined if you had asked me 14 years ago this month as I left LA for DC. Now, even though I feel I have a lot to offer women coming up behind me in the ranks of journalism and communication, that is not where I've seen the greatest fruit. And I've offered, right? Because with my own frustration with not being able to find somebody, I realized, you know what, I can't just complain about not being able to find it ahead of me. I need to offer it to those coming up behind me. But interestingly, it it hasn't stuck, right? And again, I'm like, Lord, I'm willing. I wanna do this discipleship thing. Like, why isn't it happening, right? Surprisingly, for someone who grew up with guys as her best friends throughout high school and college, the time I have invested in women, specifically other mothers, has been really fruitful. It's a head-scratcher for me. I ended up leading a women's ministry in Minnesota, and that's, if you knew me in college and high school, like you would have been really surprised. Um, American mothers are an anxious, anxious, perfectionist lot, and they put a low priority on real, real relationships. Um, yet more than one-third agree with the statement, I am often lonely. And among practicing Christian women, it's 27%. Yet this is the group that is attending weekly Bible studies, running all of the children's ministries at church, driving everybody around to their sports practices and games, with all that head knowledge about the Bible and all that activity um, with other women and with family. Um, where is the margin for the Holy Spirit to speak to them, do they and their husbands know about discipling their children and how that should look and what that should sound like? At Lionshare, Share, we believe transforming society comes from asking the Holy Spirit to reveal divine truth to us and then acting in obedience to that truth. As someone who used to work in journalism, I'm used to everybody pointing at the media for all of society's ills, Right. It's an easy target. Every poll you take, it's like, who's on the bottom? Congress and the media, right? In this election year, people are angry and frustrated with our choice of candidates. Our jaws drop when we hear about genetically modified babies or assisted suicide of the mentally ill that's going on in the world. Yet have we ever stopped once and realized that we have contributed to this problem By not reproducing disciples who Jesus can raise up to serve society, we are reaping what we have sown. If we are not deliberately obeying the command of Jesus to make disciples who make more disciples, then he has no Davids, no Nehemiahs, Esthers, Daniels to place in leadership roles throughout society to represent him. As a mom, I'm going to add, you know, Lois to that group, right? Right. I'm going to add Mary. I'm going to add the family. Imagine the impact if every follower of Jesus was deliberately discipled around his characters, ways, and mission and reproduce the same in others. How might that change the way we do church? What if the only person in a leadership role is a proven disciple maker? You've heard the phrase, every member is a minister. The church as a disciple making hub. So today, I'd like you to challenge yourself with these questions. What domain has God currently placed you in for his purposes? And that answer might change throughout your life. Check check back with it, right? What attributes of his character does he often display through your life? That one probably doesn't change as much. What is your current measure of capacity? This has been all over the map for me, um, in the last 10 years because of my caregiving roles, right? No matter where my desire is, I have responsibilities, right? And I feel like God keeps, he keeps hitting the pause button for me. And I'm like, I'm willing, I want to go, I want to go. And he keeps hitting the pause button. I need to be obedient to that. It's hard. What is your current measure of influence? You've gotta be okay if it's one. You gotta be okay if it's two. You know, maybe you're called to 200, but man, I'd rather do one really well, right? I'd rather do one and, and, and see that person turn around and replicate it. I really would, that'd be a joy a few years ago lionshare hosted a conversation with fathers of the faith henry blackaby lauren cunningham lloyd ogilvy john perkins winky prattney and jack hayford 300 years of ministry and leadership experience and um uh we recorded it uh made kind of like a small group guide and we actually sell it it it, it it's just a so much wisdom packed into into this series it's at the lionshare table, it's at the lionshare table. Pastor Hayford challenged those of us there to think about who are our spiritual children, spiritual grandchildren, and spiritual great-grandchildren. And, you know, I could name a few in the first layer, but nobody below that. And that was both humbling and convicting, even as a relatively young person. I could see what he meant. What was I passing on to the next generation? I challenge you to ask yourself that question in the context of your family and church life, but also in the context of your vocational life. Be bolder about sharing with others why you make certain decisions about the company's budget, about personnel, about a moral gray area, about charitable giving, about how you spend your time, about how you start your day, right? It doesn't have to just be about, you know, this verse and that verse and blah, blah, blah. Even modeling those things for coworkers or employees um, or or other people in your field about how you struggled with a a decision, that's fantastic. Trust in God's economy rather than the almighty dollar. Boy, that's a tough one. Pray and wait on God rather than solely depending on the pro-con list, personal challenge. Love the pro-con list. Why? Well, first off, because he loves it when you obey and trust him, loves it. I didn't get that until I became a mom. I love it when my boys obey and trust me, right? Oh, It's such a good feeling. It's like, I am so trustable. Why are you not trusting me? I mean, you know, man, God it really is slow to anger because I am not. I am not slow to anger. He is like, he's hundreds of years slow to anger and I am not. He's way better dad than I am. Mom, sorry, I'm not a dad. But also because there is no better witness to an unbelieving world and because it disciples and leads other believers into desiring to live an abundant life. So I'd like to bring up Dave Buring, Lion LionShare's founder and president to talk a little bit about how this vision of marketplace dis- disciple making, kind of the how of it, right? How are, how are some ways that we can put this into practice? And we're going to have to stand really close to each other and not have personal space but because of the mic, so don't don't think that it's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's like third generation. I know. We should take a picture. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So Lisa was in my youth group in the early 1980s when, when we lived in Hawaii. And so now she's been influencing Sonia. Yes, we're getting all that in the microphone.
0: <laughs>
3: and uh, so anyway, I just wanted to meet Lisa in the process. So
1: Great. Just speak a little louder than you I usually will. do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's start with the challenge that Lauren Cunningham gave to you as a young person, um, as you were, I, I believe, leaving YWAM, or maybe at one time when you were traveling with him, and just kind of a vision he had for your life and, and what might you might be doing for the Lord.
3: Yeah, so I was uh, I was 20 years old and. Um, I had the opportunity to, we were living in Kona, Hawaii. Cheryl and I had gotten married there, and we were serving with Youth at the Mission. Not a bad place to serve. And it was kind of a hub by which we would go out from. And um, so when I was 20, uh, his assistant, Peter Jordan, came to me and said, would you be open to traveling with Lauren? And, you know, that was kind of like, you know, I mean, Lauren's kind of the Billy Graham of the missions world, if you want to put it that way. So it, it, it was not like I had to wait on God for 17 years to answer that question. And so uh, as I did, um, there was one of the air flights where we are on where Lauren said to me, he knew I was 20, he was probably mid to late 40s at the time, and he said to me, Dave, what do you think your gifts are? And to be real honest, you know, at 20, like most 20-year-olds, I was trying to figure it out. And um, he had suggested leadership and public communication, teaching and preaching. And here's what he said to me. He said, Dave, it doesn't matter how large the groups are that you will lead, nor the size of the groups that you will teach. The way that God will measure the fruitfulness of your life is have you invested to the third and fourth generation. And he quoted 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul to Timothy to Faith 1 to others. All right? And so ever since that moment in time, my measure of fruitfulness is not how many people were in this room. My measure of fruitfulness is what I did, what I do, pass things on enough in their life as a disciple maker that they could pass it on to a third and a fourth generation. So in Lion Share, we use the, fra- the phrase a lot: discipling four generations deep. But that's where that came from.
1: Okay, um, I'm going to move this to the next slide. Uh, you know, a lot of churches talk about you know that they're they're fascinated with this idea. Um, but what are some ways that you know, aside from just hey, let's start a small group for all lawyers? <laughs> Right. What are some ways that churches could encourage, pioneer, and establish outside-the-box thinking and plans for for, for this?
3: Yeah. Uh, I was telling Sonia as we were preparing for this, I just reminded her. She knew this, but I just reminded her um, that oftentimes when we talk about this topic, it defaults to salt and light conversations.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: And we don't want that. We want you to understand this is about discipling. It's not about winning people to Jesus. It's, it's more about taking people who are followers of Jesus who serve in society and teaching them God's ways. How God would want to live his life through them, to milk the cows through the milkmaid, of Luther's comment we talked about earlier. So a lot of this begins with relationship. Who are the people in your world who serve in areas of society that you know could be discipled? That's a starting point. And so one of the phrases that we use, I don't know if we'll come to this later, but and I think I shared this at the main session the other day, yesterday, um, in whose ears are your words big? And that's a question to ask yourself. In whose ears are your words big? And um, when you find somebody like that, consider what area of society they serve in. Because for Sonia, she, yes, ultimately now she's, and, and I whispered to Darren when you said, why is that not happening yet where I'm pouring into media? And I just said to him, yet. Because that's coming. Because God will use her to disciple another generation of godly journalists. Would that not make a difference in our world? All right, that, that will come. But even if, even if I, let's say, and I wasn't in Sonia's life in those years. It was at the very end of her journalism years that I met her. But even though I couldn't have discipled, because you might go, well, I'm not a journalist. Okay. Well, ideally, it'd be great to have a journalist that knows the ways of God who could disciple a journalist. That's the ideal. But if I had met Sonia, I might not be able to shape her as a journalist, but I could shape her in the ways of God and allow the Holy Spirit to help her translate that into her world. All right? And so I don't want you to be fearful and go, well, geez, Louise, I'm not a physician. I'm not a veterinarian. I'm not a, you know anchor person. The reality is, if you know the ways of God, you're a step ahead. And so what are the people in your world, what do they do where your words are big in their ears? What's their, what is the domains that they serve in? And begin to teach them God's ways. Yesterday, and I won't repeat this, but I used an illustration about Mandisa. Some of you were in here. And I talked about the, the difference between helping her understand that the world views what you stand on as a stage, which is all about me how the kingdom of God would view that is a platform for her king. And that totally reshaped her thinking every time she goes out on what the world calls a stage. It's not about focusing on me. It's about displaying the splendor of his glory. Well, imagine that can apply to any arena. For Sonia, when she's going on live, and she's on her live shoot, and they point to her, and she's on, that's her platform. It's not her stage. It's not about her, it's about you representing the Lord well and how you the excellence in what you're doing and the way, as she said, you're relating to your coworkers. Are you following my thinking? So that's a way that you can do that. Now, on a church level, I'll just suggest this. We're beginning to try to do this with some of the men at our church. So we're wanting to connect men who serve in the same areas of society, connect women, connect men and women who serve in the same areas of society and begin to help them think about how could we disciple people in our Domain of society. I promise you, it makes a difference in the long run.
1: And if you work in churches, you know, may I suggest that um, working women, there is a a real need. There is a real need for that for working women. Um, They're hungry for it. Uh, So explore that in your church. Um, The only thing I would add to what you're saying, Dave, is that I think something that resonated with both Darren and me when we first. Kind of heard this concept um, is that the other thing you'll notice is that domains, right? Certain fields seem to have the same hiccups. Spiritual strongholds is the is the terminology that we use at Lion's Share, right? Why is it that politicians always seem to kind of fall into that same sin? Right. There's like constantly like it's almost like there's generational sin or or curses on particular areas of of work. There's got to be, you know, demonic strongholds, um, you know, because of pride, um, certain things that continue to come up in certain professions. And I think having that's one of the reasons why I think having somebody, you know, ultimately who can help you see that coming, or to help walk you through it, um, <laughs> who knows that profession, um, or has seen it with other people, can be so helpful because of that spiritual stronghold that is is uh, that that is in that. Um, we have up here um, a couple of examples of that outside-the-box uh, thinking that, that I was talking about, Dave. Yeah, um, uh, can, can yeah I... you want to highlight a few of these? Yeah, so um, imagine...
3: Imagine moving from uh, having family devotions, which is really important as a family, to actually ratcheting up a step to disciple-making. All right? There's a resource here that we'll show you about, and again, let me just say all the people and organizations here have tremendous resources, so you will not strike out with anything you get. What we have is something called a discipleship journey, and it's a one-year journey that walks you through 12 core themes that Jesus taught his disciples. You spend one month kind of marinating in that one thing, well imagine if you were to take, for example, chapter five on hearing the voice of God. And could you imagine being with your six, seven, eight let's see yours are six and eight, right? Yep. Ready to be nine. Imagine if Sonia it begins at six and nine years of age or younger and begins to shape them around the thought, Do you know that God wants to speak to you? And then when there's something that they say to her or to Darren that's maybe Something that they go, well, you know what, Ben, that might actually be the Lord that put that helps connect. Imagine a child growing up that way where when they're a teenager, that's normal. But when they're called to be a Supreme Court judge, that's normal. See, that's what we're talking about. Um, I'll just pick on a couple of others. Um, discipling veterinarians. One time I was invited to speak to a group of veterinarians, and I said to the guy, or it was actually a, a lady, and I said, ma'am, I'm honored. But like, I I take my dog out to pee, that's about all I know about animals. Like, I don't know. She said, no, no, you don't understand. She said, this was in 2012. She said, when the earthquake in Haiti hit in 2010, you know, people, short-term teams or MOA, she said, we mobilized veterinarians because the animals were as traumatized as the people. But our veterinarians, and they said this purposely to me, are scientists. And she said, because they're scientists, they're great thinkers. But they don't always know how to relate well with one another. But I'm asking you to come in and teach them how to be good relators so when they're on the field they're not uptight with each other. Okay? So it's shaping them in some in the ways of God. And you know you can look at all kinds of things, Mandisa, artist tour buses. So she, she took, when she was an American Idol and she was one of the finalists and they were touring, she took Discipleship Journey and, and she turned the tour bus into a discipleship time for the artists on the bus. So this is the kind of thing that Sonia's representing here by Outside the Box.
1: Uh, I have not had the op. Oh, you have a Christian Chamber of Commerce?
3: Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, in, in Orlando, there's actually a Christian Chamber of Commerce where they bring together people who serve in the dozen domains and they strategize how they can impact the city of Orlando, okay? Um, I have a friend who lives in Orange County, California, a former professional hockey player who is now a pastor. He said that prepared him well to be a pastor. Um, and and the whole idea there, <laughs> the whole idea there is um, they are taking Orange County and they're taking their city and breaking it down into counties and are beginning to think, how could we disciple people in the dozen domains within these counties within Orange County? Do you think that'd make a difference? Absolutely, it would. Alright, so there's these kinds of ideas. I love the last one, missions trips. Imagine that a new wave of mission trips, short-term teams going from our churches where you bring together, say, the top technology people in your church who are discipled, men and women, and you send them off for a couple of weeks to Africa where they're saying, hey, we don't have any technology in this area. I work with some people that are like that in areas of Africa and they can help go establish it. They're bringing the technology, but they're also shaping those leaders in technology, in Africa, in the ways of God. See, imagine doing that in all kinds of different fields.
1: So last night there was, you know, a lot of discussion about um, discipleship and definitions and things like that. And, you know, we're not going to rehash all that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, we're not doing that. Um, but, you know, uh you know, fo- foundational discipleship is, is kind of the stuff I was doing with Campus Crusade, right? Where, um, you know, we, we had the, the little sheets we'd take new believers through. Lionshare Share um, has something called Welcome to the Kingdom, which is kind of that type of thing for, for new believers. Um, a discipleship journey is, is what we use for formational discipleship, right? So these are the chapters where we take people through um, kind of the next level, right? Which is what does grace really mean? Um, for someone who's working in vocations, uh, relationships. So how do you submit under authority to a non-believing boss? I've spent a lot of time with the women I've discipled talking about that topic, right? Um, especially when you're discipling younger women, in, in my case, hearing the voice of God, waiting on God, right? When do I change jobs? I want to do something that's more meaningful. I just don't want to, you know, file and get coffee for my, you know, for my boss. That kind of stuff. Um, and we we keep going back to it. We keep going back to those those same chapters because they need to be grounded in scripture. We need to talk about those things. Um, there's a there's a chapter in there about purpose, passion, and giftedness. There's a difference between those three, right? And how do you weigh? Um, how the Holy Spirit interplays between those things, so this is all scriptural stuff, but it 's stuff we don 't necessarily hear in a in a formalized way. we may get it in the course of maybe attending a church uh, in in ten years, but we may not get it in in maybe the first few years of being a new believer or maybe after ten years of being a believer to to as you enter maybe a new season of your life where you 're you're um, moving into being an adult, or you moved to a new city, or you moved um, into having a family for the first time. Um, so, so these are all um, uh, great things for uh, that that we feel to to study. Um, just for time purposes, uh, we talked about um, identifying stuff. Uh, Dave, can you talk about the U and two model? Because I, I I'd love to end today on a a real inspirational note, and I think the math here is incredible. So talk a little bit about you and two.
3: Yeah, so just to to make disciple-making simple, um, you know, I think we can make it really complicated, and Jesus didn't make it complicated. It was basically, hang with me, I'm going to pour in some things, and at the end he said, hey, by the way, could you just go do this now? It's that simple, all right? So one of the things that we were trying to do, because people can get overwhelmed with numbers, um, because I do this all the time, I'm constantly having my fingers and discipling lots of people. The person who is the stay-at-home mom, the guy going to work in the government arena, how in the world am I going to find time for this? So we've, we use a phrase, you and two. In other words, you continuing to grow as a disciple of Jesus while pouring into two others. So I just want you to imagine this with me. Let's say there's 50 of us. It's, you know, I don't know how many are here, but let's say there was 50 of us. Sonia gave a rousing challenge, the Holy Spirit challenges us, we all take it that in the next 12 months between now and the next time we're together at an event like this, we each are going to find two people where our words are big in their ears and we've decided to invest in them, they're matching your commitment of being involved, and you start pouring into them for one year, all right? And we could show you how to do that, all right? But let's just say we all commit to that, all hands in, you know, the hands are piled up, we all commit to it, see you in one year, and you're going to bring your two with you. Well, when you come back a year later, there'd be 150 people. Big deal, right? Okay, well, with those 150 now, they all get it. Okay, who's your two? So you is the you, find your two, and your two finds two, all right? Well, look at the math and what happens. Think of the size of your church, think of the size of your city, your community, and consider that. And so... Look at after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years, there's over a hundred thousand people. Do you have that yep. but I want to show you what happens after eighteen years, nineteen billion. That's the math. Nineteen billion people. And they're saying in twenty thirty there's only gonna be eight billion on the planet. so we'd be discipling more people than there are on the planet. And you know there's always some dude or dudette that will say, Yeah, but not everyone's gonna do it. Okay, so let's cut it in half. There's still nine point five or more billion people, which is more people there on the planet. So here's what I want to say to you about this, is I'm in a lot of leaders meetings and I enjoy those and there's white sticky notes all over the walls where we're trying to decide how do we impact the world and often this is missed out. I want to say to you, add 18 years to your life, now granted some of us may be in heaven by then, but add 18 years to your life, if we committed to do this, this is what could happen. This is still. I want you to hear this is still Jesus' original plan to change the world. It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And remember the word commission means commissioning. Jesus and you. And without the you part, this doesn't get done. All right. But I just want to show you the effects. If we just are willing to obey what Jesus asked us to do, we can change the world.
1: The other resource that we have is a book that Dave wrote called *The Jesus Blueprint*, and this is what I would call kind of the envisioning piece. Um, and he wrote the first half of it, uh, which which covers a lot of the ground that I that I covered um, today about about vocations. Um, but the second half is actually essays that were contributed by people, some who are in this room, including me and my husband, um, from the dozen domains of society. If you know people who you want to kind of help help them see the vision like, hey, you're a physician and I want you to see why discipling in the medical profession is important or uh, why as a stay at home mom, as an, it's important or as a teacher, it's important or as a veterinarian who can't relate to <laughs> other people, um, only animals is important, um, you know, this would be a great resource to give to them and and sit down and talk to them because it's an essay written by somebody who's one of them right not just you know a pastor who has some great ideas um because as as uh, was spoken about on the stage yesterday you know it's not about just plowing through curriculum right people have to get the get the overall idea they have to get the vision if they don't get the vision then plowing through the curriculum means nothing um, and the and and the curriculum means nothing unless there's relationship uh, and and we can be creative, we can be creative. Um, we you know Dave talked in his session about how he did calls at five thirty in the morning. I've done calls on video conference with uh, single women from all around the country after I put my kids down to bed, um, you know all the way as far west as California. Um, somebody in the car in Nashville on her phone. I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, clearly a millennial. <laughs> she's got like the,
0: the iPhone
1: like on her dashboard and she's like participating in the, in the a discipleship journey call. Um, and then, you know, people in DC and we're, we're, we're not just living life together. We are going through this, this stuff together. And it's amazing to me. The ones I thought would stick with it. And, and still be in touch with me and still call me when they're going through stuff are, are not the ones I thought at the beginning, not at all. Um, it's amazing the heart links that God creates, and you can't force that. You know, when Dave says, you know, let me charge you to go out and find your two, it, it, it might not be who you think. You know, you can't force it. You can't make anybody do it. God is going to create that heart link. And he's going to he's going to make it clear to you who who the who the right people are. Um, you know, one, one, one guy who I, you know, we didn't do anything formally, but for some reason my my words were really big in his ears. Was an African American young man. And I was like, "What? <laughs> like, really? Suburban housewife with two stay-at-home, you know, like kids? Like, but really? He like, was in media. but he was involved in media, he involved. and he really had like a, a respect for my experience in the past, and and so we had a connection. I would not have put money, you know, in Vegas on that relationship lasting, you know, past one phone call. So, so you know, it's 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 it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to see what God's going to do. Well, I'm going to."
2: Can I just add one? Yeah, thing?
1: go ahead. Hey,
3: just so you guys know, so this is the tool that we've created that we use with people in the church and in the marketplace for disciple-making because it gives context for that. And we had a little whoops happen. If you're looking for this kind of stuff at the bookstore, it's not there. We ended up, for whatever reason, our numbers didn't get added. You know, like the, the codes added into the machine there. So you have to go to the Lion share table to get it. And blueprint, welcome to the kingdom, this is there, as well as that um, father's. Uh, yeah. Conversations with fathers of the faith that Sonia referred to. So go to the Lion Share table and that's And
1: talking. we have an app. So people can just watch the video on the app and then look at the paper stuff on the app as well, which is really convenient so that you could do it wherever you go. Um, well, I want to, since we, we only have 15 minutes left, right? Yes. Okay. So I wanted to see if you guys have any questions. And I'm going to let Dave and um, my husband Darren come up here too if you, you guys. Oh okay so Darren my husband um worked in the realm of politics uh for gosh how many years It'll be 20 Yeah 20 um and he kind of moved into the nonprofit world um a few years ago um working issue campaigns and then now we're going to be joining Lionshare staff so we've in our 11 years almost 12 years of marriage have moved a lot and um been through a lot but, uh, da- Darren has been kind of deliberately discipled by Dave, um, for the last decade, right? Um, and, and has, and has run his own discipleship groups, both government related people, uh, and non government related people. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. It, you know, it's something where you, again, you can't force it. You have to see what sticks and who, who is who is hearing you and who isn't? Who's committed? Um, and so uh, we, you know, we we obviously believe in this enough to upend our life and um, and move here to become a part of the South um, to to join in this great adventure. So that's where Darren's coming from. Did I represent? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So questions, comments? Yes. Like, where, like, yeah, like, what could even be the start? Like, what could, what could even be the start for an investment banker, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I would say, like, the media world is fairly, fairly similar, right? It's New York-based. It's extremely elitist. Everybody knows everybody, you know, hey, your son played rugby with my son at Colgate or Colby, and um, they went to boarding school at Exeter together, and, you know, they went to Princeton, and. You went this and blah, blah, blah. And we all, you know, um, uh, go to Martha's Vineyard, you know, during these weeks. And um, I, I dealt with a lot of that when I moved to D.C. I didn't realize, coming from California, I didn't realize, I always say moving from Korea to California was not as big of a cultural shock to me as moving from L.A. to D.C., which is weird. You would not think that. But there's a lot of kind of hidden kind of class blue blood, Eastern stuff going on. Um, so I think there's a few things. Number one, um, one thing that pastor Shuler, um, said to, said to us, you know, in a sermon once when, when, um, shortly after I moved to DC was, you know, uh, he had gone overseas. They were, he was involved in some big mission thing for Amsterdam and all these pastors were, you know, strategizing sticky notes on the board and the whole thing. And, and he 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 talked about Jeremiah. Right. You know, because everybody was judging, you know, Amsterdam's the worst city in the world and this and that. And, you know, we got to change this and, you know, the whole thing. And he said, if we can't weep for this city and pray for it, like how are we ever going to win it? And that again, boom. Right. Another big perspective changer. Like, wow, that's a totally different way to look at Wall Street. Right. That's a totally different way to look at an investment banker when you've just been through the housing crisis (laughs) Um, is to think about it as a domain of society that you want to weep for, that you want to win over. Right. So I would suggest, number one, you need to have there needs to be prayer. There needs to be prayer among like minded people who either work in that industry or have a heart for for people in that industry. Right. And and I think what we're talking about here and this is I'm sorry, I do have to default a little bit to the discussion last night is that we're talking a little bit more less about evangelism and more about disciple making among believers. You know, I do think that the overflow of what we're doing is going to attract people into saying, hey, what's going on with those people? Right. Um, and why is she different and the, the salt and light conversation, but I think it on the, on the, on the pendulum, on the barometer of, of that kind of stuff, that's what we're talking about. Right. And and, question for me is, Disciple making them right. So, so let me, let me, so let me finish. So, so, so I do think that there has to be that prayer element, right. Of I, I want to, I want to weep and I want to win this domain, you know, for the Lord. Right. Um, And and so I don't think you're going in and you're proselytizing, you know, in the office. Right. Um, I, I do think this has to take place outside of it. Right. But I do think that the decisions that you are making as a result in in that office. Right. And with the support of other people in that office. And, you know, I talked about God's economy. Right. Like it's not a it's not a predestined outcome of how God can bless and give favor to things. Right. And and that's a it's 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 bold. It's 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 risky, you know, to work in that world and put yourself out there a little bit. Um, but I do think that success is measured Like success is not measured by, hey, I changed this whole industry because we started this one group, right? right? I think success is measured by the fact that that person was obedient to what Jesus asked them to do Mm -hmm. and let him do the rest, Mm -hmm. right? So one thing we talk a lot about at Lionshare Share is join God in whatever he's already doing. So where do you see it? If you start it, you initiate it, you have to sustain it. So join God in whatever he's doing. So if you're obedient to, okay, I feel the Holy Spirit right now is telling me, I, I've got a heart for this particular domain, start praying and then ask him, where's the activity you want me to, to join you in? You, you just don't know where that's gonna go. I wish I could tell you like, here's your, here's your blueprint, here's your plan, you know, um, but I'm, I'm not that wise. And, and God's timeline is so different but you, yeah, you no, might have more to add true. than the only me. The thing that I would add, Michelle, and
3: by the way, she went through the journey last year, so Michelle's looking at doing it this year, oh, so okay. she wanted to meet somebody, so just make sure you connect. So um, so part of it for me has to do with what, what is my end. My end is reproducing a disciple of Jesus in that area of society who can reflect his attitudes, who can afre- reflect his heart, and who can keep reproducing. Because in... In all areas of society, God desires to be glorified. And the only way he can be glorified in that way is if you have followers of Jesus that are obeying him in that area of society. Like living here in Nashville, it's working with artists. You guys, it would be unbelievable, for those of you that don't live here, it would be unbelievable to you to know how many of our Christian artists, they sincerely love Jesus, no doubt, but how little discipleship they've had. There's one very well-known artist who I will not name, when she was 18, I met, she'd been becoming well-known at 13 and 14, and at 18, I, I sat with her and I said, can I ask you a question? Have you ever had a, anybody teach you about how to have a quiet time? She said, no. And I'm going, okay. I said, hey, you, and I, so I went fun. I said, okay, so like as a teenager, did in a youth group you have the guy-girl relationship talk? You know, every kid goes through that. No. And so then I started to try to envision. I said, now imagine on your way to your concert in your, on your tour bus, and you, you already got the band there, you have your song selection, and you're an hour out. Imagine going back in your tour bus and laying face down on your bed and saying, Jesus, because she always took 10 or 15 minutes to speak to the audience, Lord, for this audience in St. Louis tonight, is there anything in particular you want me to share? She said, that's awesome. But because she didn't have the inner framework to do that, it never happened. Discipleship places an inner scaffolding by which truth can be built, and therefore, as you are a domain leader, that continues to be added on to. and you find a mature follower of Jesus that can reproduce the things of God in someone else called to that same area. So that's my end.
2: I have a question that kind of, and this is the last oh, one, we it, need to do. it comes off of this to more general for mm-hmm. people who aren't in that particular. Industry. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you have in your book different chapters, like kind of written from a different perspective, different people. Have you have you got any kind of stuff already put together, like like a Simplified, like not complicated, like it would be less than a chapter playbook for people that we already know they're doing this. Like I'm working with an NFL player, a woman who's a model who's in acting. I have no experience with either of those, and they're coming to me because what God's put us in that context, and they're like saying, "So how do we do this?" And I'm like, "I don't have any idea." Yeah. I, what I can tell you is this: is these are the principles of Christ. These are like the this is how Jesus did with his disciples. Let's figure out how to do that together. But it sure be helpful at times, mm-hmm. especially when I'm in these places mm-hmm. where I haven't been. Mm-hmm. To, if I had somebody, I could go. Well, here's like five things
0: mm-hmm. that I
2: know mm-hmm. you need to know. Yeah, now, I'm a teacher from my background, so you can imagine in teaching, you know, you have to like you're, you're walking like on landmines. Yeah. as a mm-hmm. follower of Christ at school, yeah. and, and so you really. And so I have a lot of insight on how to work with that in that context because yeah. I've done it for 27 years. Yeah. But, so I, I'm just wondering if there's anything like that that's so, specific. So,
3: quick answer to that is we are in the process of going, because we have relationships with people in the dozen domains. Mm-hmm. And what we're asking them to do, and Darren will help us with this as he comes on board, because we need more time put on this. But, uh, for example, Lori Fry, who manages David Copperfield, you know, the magician, uh, Blue Man Group, and Donnie Marie Osmond. And so, she's a godly woman, been through this, disciples, artists, and communicators in, in this stuff. I've said, Lori, would you please create something that could go with discipleship journey, that as you're going through the core of grounding in the Lord, here are three or four questions or discussion points on this session that relates to people like that. And, and so we are in the process of creating. we'd like to make it as PDF files so someone could mm-hmm. get that thing and just download it. I got a business guy. Boom. I got a technology person. Boom. So it's, speci- it's general For everybody, the ways of God, but here's some specific things that could be drilled down. And I mean, if
1: if you guys, if you guys are, I mean, this is what we're doing. We're trying to, everybody else is not here in this room, right? Not everybody gets this, this idea of marketplace disciple makers. Like a lot of you are here because you didn't get it, or most of you are here because you already get it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what we have to do is actually help people understand that. Yeah. Um, you see it when we start talking about it. We see the light bulb start to go off in people, but most people aren't there yet because they haven't even caught this. No. So I feel like if if this is something you're interested in, then come and partner with us and help us mm. identify people who can also be interested in that. Maybe want to contribute to that. Want to start, you know, moving in that direction because I I do feel like this is kind of the next. You know, additional level we need to go to, and I think more churches are going to be interested in that. But I do think that overall, it's something that a lot of Christians in America still don't, they still separate work and. Than ever yeah, like they, there is such a divide right now that it's, it's 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 we're still preaching the basic message.
2: I'd like to push back a little bit on you saying that's more the discipleship and less and so the evangelism. As soon as you start talking about two people, I'm thinking about this guy I'm working with. All five guys on the team that he's mentoring, none of them are believers. And a yeah. year ago, he wasn't a believer.
3: Yeah, great. And
2: so I don't know that when you talk about two people, chances are pretty good one of them is not a believer. That's if awesome. If you put them in a marketplace context, yeah. So yeah. I, I would encourage you to not pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Right, soon, right, right. As soon as you go like the next generation, it's, it's, it's all probably about probably not a believer. It's all about relationship. Yeah,
1: it's all about relationship and kind of only you know only God knows right, yeah, right. in between. So, thanks, you guys, for coming. Come on up and, and ask. Yeah. yeah, thanks, you guys, for coming. To make Thank sure you, you everybody.
0: You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.